Jesus still causes divisions today. There's some who are curious. Uh, there are others who truly believe He's the Christ. Uh, there are others who are spiritually skeptical and try to find excuses not to believe. There are others who are just antagonistic to Him. Which one's you? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. What makes Jesus so controversial in our American culture? Well, the divisiveness we're seeing is nothing new. The leaders in Jesus' day were every bit as contentious as we're seeing in our generation. Today, David continues our study of the Gospel of John in part two of a message called, Jesus Causes Division. Jesus comes and indwells in the third person of the Godhead, and folks, when He does, the Holy Spirit, again, not an it, but a person, takes control of our entire lives. You see, the issue with the Holy Spirit for so many Christians, in my opinion, is not whether you have the Holy Spirit in you when you receive Jesus, you do. The question is, how much of the Holy Spirit has of you? Does He have just a little bit of you? A kind of bit of you? The Holy Spirit wants all of you. And when He takes all of you over, out of your innermost beings, out of your gut, out of who you are deep inside, He touches you, He fills you, He controls you, He overwhelms you, He baptizes you. And out of that flows the very life of Jesus to the world. That's the promise that Jesus gave us. That's what John said comes when we receive Jesus and the third person of the Godhead. Now, the people see this happening when they heard these words, verse 40. Remember, they're getting ready to sing, and shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. Of the... They're getting ready to sing Psalm 118, 15. Jesus interrupts with this cry when they heard him say these words. Some of the people said, this really is the prophet. So now you're seeing how people responded to Jesus when he did this and out of the other things he'd done from John 1 through where we are right now. Um, some said he's the prophet. Now, who's that? In Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18, Moses said there would come one after him who would be the prophet. And a lot of people believed that maybe that was going to be Elijah come back or just another mighty man of God who would precede the coming of the Messiah. So some people in hearing Jesus said this go, hmm, he must be the prophet that Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. But you know, in the Bible, it's very clear that in the book of Acts and other places, different writers and different people speaking in the different texts in the Bible referred to Jesus as that prophet. Very clearly, the Bible says Jesus is the prophet of Deuteronomy 18. But at this point, some people go, oh, this, this, this must be the prophet. They haven't committed themselves to Jesus yet. They just say, this, this must be the prophet. Second group said, others said, this is the Christ. Some people came to understand he's the Christ. Now, remember, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. It means the anointed one, the chosen one. It was the expectation of the Messiah, the one that God would choose to enter the world and eradicate Roman evil and allow Israel to t return to its glory days. And so there were those who said, he, he must be the Christ. I mean, first of all, who would interrupt the celebration of the high priest and our singing except 
the Christ. And then they probably also would remember some of Jesus' miracles, like turning water into wine and healing a man who'd been lame for 38 years, uh, the Roman official's son whom he healed from a distance. They probably knew these stories or heard about these stories. They also remembered some of Jesus' own claims where he said things like, you know, I am the bread of life that whoever eats of me will never hunger again. He made claims like the Father and I are one. He made claims like through me, you'll have eternal life. Uh, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I mean, all those extraordinary claims found a lot in John 5, 6, and 7. People heard those claims. They saw his miracles. So some number concluded that he's the Christ. Again, there was a first group that were kind of spiritual seekers. Oh, he must be the prophet. Another group said, no, he is the anointed one of God. He's the long-awaited Messiah. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there were others who were kind of spiritual skeptics, if you will, trying to figure it all out. And they go, isn't the Messiah supposed to come from David's lineage? And isn't he supposed to be born in Bethlehem? And it just shows how many spiritual skeptics, even today, who are kind of seeking for Jesus, just don't know the facts. And if they would study the facts, for example, about the resurrection, study the facts about the prophecies that were written six to 700 years ago being fulfilled in Jesus in specificity and the probability factor being one to like the 10,000th factor of that possibly occurring. If they just do the study, they would come to faith in him. And here are these people saying, well, well, isn't the Messiah from the lineage of David and from to be born in the town of Bethlehem? And little did they know that Micah 5, 2 did prophesy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Guess where Jesus was born? Bethlehem. They just didn't know it. Uh, if you trace the lineage of Jesus through Mary and Joseph, you'll see that through both lines, he's traced back to King David. So both of the questions that were asked here about Jesus were answerable in veracity to who Jesus claimed to be. They just didn't know the facts, how many people today are going to spend a Christless eternity because they're just spiritual skeptics asking all the questions but not willing to find the answers. Verse 43, so there was a division among the people over him. You need to know that Jesus causes a division. In Matthew Chapter 10, verse 34 and onward, Jesus said, Don't think that I came to bring unity. I came to bring a sword. And I will divide mothers and fathers and children and mothers and children and fathers and cousins and aunts. I came to divide. And folks, that is so true. We see it in our nation somewhat. Some of you come from homes where you've come to faith in Jesus and your family's rejected you. They just don't want any part of you. They feel like you've gone off the deep end. Uh, in other nations in the world, when people come to faith in Jesus, especially in Islamic nations, some in Hindu nations as well, you are eliminated from the family. You're kicked out. You're written out of the will. You have no inheritance whatsoever. Jesus said that he would cause division. And here we have another example of that where some were kind of spiritual seekers and looking. Others were firmly committed to him, yet others were spiritual skeptics. Division was caused among the people. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. You know, there was another group that were just very angry with him, a fourth group of div division that occurred. A group really hated him. 
They wanted him dead. We saw at the beginning of John 7 that there were the religious leaders, the capital J Jews, the officials who had already begun a plot to kill Jesus. They'd already manufactured a list of false charges against him to bring to Rome in order to have him killed. They were jealous. They were envious of him. They didn't like his position of power. They didn't like all the multitudes who followed him, all those who really were excited about him. They wanted him gone. But they didn't arrest him yet. Why? Well, the people liked him too much. And also, this is even more important. We saw this two weeks ago. Jesus said, for my time has not yet come. There was a perfect time that God the Father had ordained for Jesus to go to the cross. It's going to come in another months, but it had not come yet. So they could not lay a hand on him because the time was not right. Then we see in verse 45, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? So we saw in John's message last week how officers were conscripted by the religious leaders and they said to the officers, go and arrest him right now. Well, they come back without having arrested him. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. So here's another group of people who are just amazed at Jesus. You can say what you want to about Jesus, dear friends, but there's no human being no person who's ever lived, who's ever touched this world and changed this world the way Jesus has. And when you read his teachings in his word, you're amazed at what he teaches. You're amazed at the insights and truth that he gives. You're amazed to see that if we just would follow the way that he taught, our world would be such a better place in which to live. And so the officers heard Jesus teach and they backed off. And they said, we, we can't arrest him. We've never heard anybody teach like this guy. Well, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the capital J Jews who were plotting to have Jesus killed, have you also been deceived? I mean, they start mocking the Roman officers. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? I mean, they're looking at their own elitist position in the society. I mean, there are none of us, Pharisees and others of high-ranking position in our society and culture, who would dare believe in Jesus. That's another reason a lot of people don't believe in Jesus. They're so arrogant and so prideful, they can't believe that a Galilean carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago is my ticket to heaven, is my means of spending eternal life with God. How ridiculous. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And they think they're intellectually above the whole understanding of the gospel. And that's why Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, has a verse where he said, not many among you are wise and understanding. Dear friends, the gospel spreads most powerfully and significantly among the middle class and the poor. The people who've not necessarily had all the education that puffs up their brain and makes them think they're so knowledgeable, they don't need the gospel. Here, the Pharisees place themselves in that elitist position. And then we continue... Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. <laughs> there it is again, looking down in pride on the masses, on the people who have not been educated. They don't know the law like we know the law. They're not educated like we know the law. And he, then the Pharisees call the crowd accursed. Did, do you see the spiritual pride? They're basically saying that we've got all the knowledge. We're going to go to heaven. God loves us, but those people down there who are following Jesus, they're accursed. That word means they can go to hell. They can just go to hell. They wrote them off because they weren't of the same quality in education as they were. 
Now, verse 50, Nicodemus, remember him? In John the third chapter, he came to Jesus by night. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the 70 most powerful Jews in all of Jerusalem. Nicodemus had this encounter where Jesus said, you must be born again. Uh, he is there seen a little bit later asking questions about John the Baptist and his baptism and seeing Jesus baptizing a bunch of other people. Um, we don't know whether he'd come to a deep and abiding faith in Jesus yet. It doesn't seem so. He is very timid when he answers some of the Pharisees' questions. Nicodemus, who had gone to him, Jesus, before, that's John 3, and who was one of them, one of the Sanhedrin, one of the capital J Jews, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So here's what Nicodemus is doing. Doesn't our law guarantee due process? But before we judge someone and kill him, should we not bring him before us and allow him to answer the charges that we're bringing against him? I mean, any common decency says that if you're going to accuse a person, especially with the potential of death, you would allow that person to come and appear before you in due process and defend the accusations that are being made against you. That's what Nicodemus is simply saying here. Should not we who are educated and try to live by the law grant due process and grant this Jesus a chance to defend himself. It's kind of a tepid, quasi-defense of Jesus. You can't really tell if he's really committed himself to Jesus or he's still afraid of his other Pharisees and he, he might have to face the same death that Jesus would face. You're not sure, but at least he takes some kind of step in defense of Jesus. Look at verse 52. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, this is very interesting on several different fronts. One being that they are putting aside one of their own because he's not responding the way they want him to respond. So they're, they're seeing division even in their own group. But also when they ask the question, isn't it true that uh, a Galilean has no prophet arise from there? And then also the question of, are you from Galilee? Well, they are saying to Nicodemus, an ultimate put down. Because in that day, folks, racism is not new. Bigotry and prejudice is not new. And in that day, the Pharisees who were well-educated and lived in Judea in the southern part of Israel had an arrogance and pride against anybody from the north Galilee. They thought they were more educated. They thought they were better than. So they look at Nicodemus and say, are you from Galilee too? And the truth is, no prophet has ever come out of Galilee, which just isn't true. If you look at the Bible, you see that Elijah came from Galilee, that Nahum, the prophet in the Old Testament, came from Galilee. Uh, you see also that Jonah came from Galilee. So it's just not true to say that no prophet ever came from Galilee. It just shows how arrogant elitists can be. They think they have all the answers and they don't know everything. The same is true in our culture today. When you have cultural elitists who think they know everything and they should be able to tell us how to live our lives, they think they know everything, but the reality is they don't know everything. And really those of us who know Jesus and have his wisdom in our hearts, we know a whole lot more than they'll ever hope to know. So then we see at the beginning of chapter 8 uh, of 53 and also a 1 because in the text of the earliest manuscripts, these two things kind of came together. But it says, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So after this encounter and after the divisions are seen, the people went home and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And it looks like he spent the night there and we'll pick up next week what happens next. But here's the point, dear friends. 
You've heard a message about who Jesus is. He's God in human flesh. He came to save us from our sins. He wants to have a personal living relationship with you. Will you invite him into your heart? If you do, out of your innermost being will flow torrents of living, not stagnant, but living waters, plural, rivers of water, plural, and they will refresh your soul. They'll give you life like you've never known it before. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Jesus still causes divisions today. There's some who are curious. Uh, There are others who truly believe He's the Christ. Uh, There are others who are spiritually skeptical and try to find excuses not to believe. There are others who are just flat antagonistic to Him. Which one's you? Which one's you? Now, if you just go home and disregard this message and don't do anything with it, uh, you haven't chosen to do anything with your life of meaning. You, you have rejected the king of the universe. I pray that you'll go home hearing this message, but you'll come back a different person. And you will have given your life radically to the risen Lord. And when you do, you'll have the strength that you need to face any problem. You won't need people or any other person to meet the deepest longings of your heart. Jesus will do so inside of you. I beg you, I implore you, please give your life to Jesus and then drink of Him. And when you do, you'll never thirst again. He'll satiate the deepest longings of your heart. He will satisfy your soul. That's who my Jesus is, a personal relationship I have with Him. I beg you to have that with Him as well. To Him alone and always belongs all the glory. Amen and amen. Father in heaven, for all those who are viewing this right now, I pray if there's anyone out there who feels dry in the wilderness, I pray they would yield to you, invite you into their hearts, into their innermost being, and I pray, Lord, that you would refresh their souls. Lord, there's a wonderful old song, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, O God, taken from Psalm 42. Lord, I pray that we would be like the deer who's panting thirstily for water, and we would drink of you the living water of the universe. Lord, I pray if there's anyone who has not given their lives to Jesus, they would do so now. Lord, if even one person online right now gives their life to Jesus, all the hours of preparation that I put into this message and others have in filming it, it makes sense. It's purposeful. Please yield your heart to the Lord. Give your life to Him and cry out on that last day, Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of the living God and you will be saved. You'll have living water. You'll never thirst again. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in an insightful conversation about this morning's e-devotion. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, we'll work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. 
the place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Jen. It's great being with you. Well, we are remembering your brother, Howard, who passed away recently. And I just wanted to know if there are some things you want to share with us today. Well, I do, Jen. Uh, My big brother, Howard, went to be with Jesus uh, last week, and it was a sudden departure. We weren't expecting it. He caught COVID and had some pre-existing conditions that caused his body just to melt in kidney failure and ultimately to die. Miss him terribly. It was so sudden, so I'm still processing my grief. And one of the things I've learned about grief is that it comes and goes unexpectedly, but you can do some things to help you ward it off when it comes. And one of those things, is to remember well, to remember some of the wonderful things about that person whom you love who's gone on to be with the Lord. And one of the things I've been remembering this week is how often Howard would call me out of the blue just to encourage me. Mm -hmm. He was the consummate encourager. And one of the things he most recently called me about was I was going through a very difficult time and he knew it. So he called me to say, hey, David, just want to remind you that not everything that weighs you down is yours to carry. Hmm. May I say it again, everybody? (laughs) (laughs) Not everything that weighs you down is yours to carry. And it just reminded me how the scripture teaches us that we are to cast all our cares upon Jesus because he cares for us so much. I'm asked often by people, well, well, how do I know Jesus cares for me so much? And I tell them to look at the cradle, that God would leave the splendor of heaven and enter the squalor of this world. And secondly, to look at the cross, Mm -hmm. that Jesus would go through that kind of suffering and pain, not only physically, but spiritually being separated from the Father when all the sins of the world were placed upon him. And that's the evidence we have of the beauty of Jesus' love for us. Mm -hmm. Well, because he loves us that much, we can cast our cares upon him. Mm -hmm. So Howard was reminding me of that beautiful truth in the scripture that God really does care. He loves, he's with us, and he carries our burdens for us. Come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden, place your yoke upon my shoulders, and I will give you rest for your souls, mm. uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. So Howard was my consummate encourager, always giving me words of life and blessing when I was going through tough times. And I just remember those times he called, Jen, mm-hmm. and I remember those words he spoke. Yeah. And I've actually even written them down uh, in, in a place that I can always go back and read them when those days of discouragement and grief flood my soul. This is so beautiful. And I think you're giving all of us so much courage and really kind of a a permission to grieve well and to grieve with hope. And so I just thank you for being so transparent with us. Well, grief is real Mm -hmm. and Christians grieve. That is an immutable fact of the scripture. Um, We go through human experiences that all people experience. We're not robots, Mm -hmm. but here's the difference in first. Thessalonians 4.13 language, Jen, that you referred to is we grieve with hope. You know, I have the absolute hope that
that I'm going to see Howard again. I have the absolute hope he's in heaven and he has no more diabetes in his body. Mm. I have the absolute hope that uh, he is with my mom and dad who have gone on before us. And I have the absolute hope that he is well and alive. Wow. So with that hope, I'm continued to able to move forward amidst my grief. Yeah. Uh, and that allows my grief to be lessened because I grieve with hope. And that's the difference between the way Christians grieve and non-Christians mm. grieve. We grieve with hope. This has been so beautiful. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, thank you listeners for joining me. And if you'd like to receive these daily moments of hope, this week's being attributed to my brother Howard and all that he meant to me in my life, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there daily, 7 a.m. in your inbox from my heart to yours to begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for a relief of all the variants of COVID.